Welcome to Mates in Courage, brought to you by Good News Unlimited. Be part of a conversation between Graham Hood, champion fisherman, airline pilot and school dropout, and Ali Gonzalez, wannabe fisherman and holder of more useless degrees than you can poke a stick at. What could these two possibly have in common? The fact that neither of them have anything to hide. That's what. Mates in Courage. Take a listen. How are you today, brother? I'm doing pretty well. Well again, eh? Yeah. Well, well, well. You know what that is? What is it? The story of the three wells. Is this something I need to be educated on? Yeah, maybe one time on the river somewhere. All right. There's always a river somewhere. There's always a river with fish in it waiting for us. For us. Yeah. I got a really great text message from your boy, Ben. Oh, did you? Benjamin. Yeah. Did you get it when he, he went to Perth on the weekend and no, the photo? No, I didn't get a photo. Didn't you? Oh, I communicate really well with Ben, probably because he's not my own child. It's easier to communicate with someone else's <laughs> child than your own sometimes. That's always the way. Yeah, and he's not a child anymore. He's a man. But he, That's yeah. taller than me. Do you remember, do you remember my, my grandson, Josh? And uh, Ben used to play together yeah. all the time, and uh, they used to throw each other in the pool. They made billy carts. They made billy carts. Yeah. And every time Josh would come over from the West, and uh, Ben would spend the school holidays there. And, yep. and I used to have to tell Josh, stop throwing Ben in the pool. You know, I used to pick him up like a rag dog, <laughs> rag doll and throw him in the pool. And Ben always jumped out of the pool to get thrown back in again. It was really funny. They really had a good time. It would only be a good time if Ben threw Josh in the pool now and then too. Yeah, I reflect on that now and I think, gee, they're a lot like you and me. They're, they're like chalk and cheese, Yeah, but they really had a lot of fun when they got together. Yeah. And anyhow, they, they caught up on the weekend when Ben had to travel for business and they caught up and um, it was really great to see and it was great to hear too from Josh that it was really nice for them to catch up and it's been several years since they have. And they're men now. Yeah, Ben's 21. Yeah, and, you know, it was really good to reflect on our relationship through the relationship of your son and my grandson. Oh, hang on, I think Ben's 20. Yeah. Don't you know the age of your own fellow? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you'll get in trouble. Anyway, it's good to see the kids evolving into healthy adults. Yeah. I reckon I've got some restoration to do in my relationships with my kids. Yeah, let's talk about restoring your relationship with your kids. Mm, I'm nervous about that. Why? Because I think I still got a bit of work to do, and um, well, so I might I. Ha- I might have to be vulnerable in this one. You might. I hope I'm vulnerable in all of them, but I might have to be real in this one. But these are some pretty close relationships we're talking about. They are. They're very close, and um, I guess if I had to put a word underneath my reticence and my nervousness, it would be guilt. Guilt. Hmm. That tool that's used by evil to keep us under control, guilt. And my guilt comes from the fact that I think I let my kids down in many ways. I was flying, fly out dad. Being a pilot. Being a pilot. And how, how many kids are we talking about here? Two daughters. Two beautiful daughters. Yeah. And I was, I was active in their life when I was at home. I really was. You know, like if I had a day off through the week, I'd go to school and I'd be mm-hmm. the clown in the canteen at school. You know, they'd come up and um, and uh, I'd be the clown and joke with everybody and everyone would say to my kids, oh, you're lucky to have a dad like you've got, you know. <laughs> and they'd say, yeah, he's great and everything. But uh, deep down, he wasn't all that good. So, so why wasn't it that good? Um, I guess I was wearing a mask back then. Mm. 
trying to be good. I was trying to compensate for all the things that I felt really bad at by being the clown and being the funny dad and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and I never took my kids on a journey into spirituality because I didn't believe in anything back then. So I'm guilty about that. I'm guilty about the fact that I was one of two people who modelled what marriage looked like to my kids. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a very pretty model. Mm-hmm. And I also modelled what manhood looked like to my kids and that mm-hmm. wasn't a very pretty model. Have you seen the impact of that modelling in their lives? I have. I have. I think that, I've... That must be hard. That's hard because I showed my kids how to be codependent as well. Because I can see, I can see the impact of me and my parenting in, and what I've modelled in my kids' lives. And there's a lot of good there, but it's really hard to see the, the negative stuff just flow through. Yeah, I think there was a lot of good in my modelling too, but um, the bits that weren't good were really not good at all. They were pretty mm. bad. Mm. But what about, what about your journey? I'm, I'm sure that our journeys raising our kids is vastly different, but also very similar. Yeah, in terms of, in terms of my journey, I, I tried to be the best uh, husband and the best dad that I could, mm-hmm. as best as I knew how. Yep. Uh, back when my kids were little, I tended to be a bit of a religious bigot and religious perfectionist, mm-hmm. and uh, that didn't help my kids. And also I modelled uh, what a husband should look like to my kids from a position of profound codependency, and that hasn't been helpful either. Mm. And I look back and there's no point looking back in the sense of, yeah, I'm overwhelmed by guilt as well in that sense. Mm. But there's no, there's no positive stuff that comes out of that guilt. I'll give you an example here. I'm writing my autobiography and my family's history. I've been doing that for years. I know. haven't known you. Didn't know you were doing that? Yeah, so most days I write a little bit. It's good therapy for me too. Mm. And I I found a a cassette tape that I had recorded with my father's stories when my kids were really quite small. Yeah. Benjamin was probably uh, five or six years old. Yeah. And we came up to visit my dad and my mum and I had a handheld recording device and I whipped it out and I was was trying to get my father to tell some stories. And obviously, uh, Benjamin was bothering me because he's starting to be an engineer, uh, but you, he, he likes to know how things work, basically. Yeah. And so he, he wanted to see how this, you know, recording device worked. And so he wanted to play with it. And he was asking me, you know, Dad, Dad, can I have it? Can I hold it? How does it work? You know, and, and I was just focused. I tend to be very focused on the task at hand. And I was focused on, on my father telling these stories, which were like gold because yeah. I, I didn't get to spend much time with my father. I was usually booted out of his, his house pretty quick because he was a bit hot and cold because yeah. of issues we've talked about before. A very tempestuous relationship I had with my father and mm. really wanted to get some of his stories down. And anyway, I sent off this cassette tape uh, to a, a mate for him to digitise because, I mean, like, who's got a cassette recorder anymore, right? Yeah. And so he sent me back the digital file and, and I was horrified when I started listening to it. In fact, I can't bear to put it back on because I'm just overwhelmed with guilt. Because, yes, my father does tell some stories on it, but I haven't even been able to listen through the stories because at the beginning of this recording, all I hear is little Benjamin, my son, Dad, Dad, in his little boy voice, you know, can I touch it? Can I have it? How does it work? You know, and it's just, he's just pestering me. And I'm trying to get, you know, recording my dad and, and I end up t- 
telling Benjamin, if you don't leave it, if you don't leave me alone, you know, I'll put you into the, into the room, you know, and I'll smack you. And when I just hear that back, it just tears me up. Because I see the man he is now, right? Mm. And, yeah, I mean, you can argue, yes, he should have, you know, because I've been trying to tell him nicely and whatever, and maybe he should have just, you know, be quiet and left it alone. But when I think about how I could have handled that better, I should have shown him how it worked. I should have taken 10 minutes, you know, let him press a few buttons, and then I would have had plenty of time with my dad. So it's just about misplaced priorities you know a lack of patience focusing on what you think is the task at hand but there's a much more important task at hand that you don't give attention to and you mishandle and then you look at you think well was that the pattern you know that of my dealings with my son because I did end up with a with a a pretty broken relationship with my son you know, we're mm. talking about mending relationships with my kids. Well, there's a relationship that, that you know, needs to be fully mended still. Well, I think it's moving along very nicely from what I see. Oh, well, we're all getting more mature. I am and he is and yeah. maturity brings wisdom. Do you think you can love somebody that you don't like? Yes. So do I. had this chat with a, a guy the other day and I said, you know, my purpose in life is to love the people I walk on this planet with, even though I don't necessarily like their Mm behaviour. And he said, how can you love somebody you don't like? I said, well, you do. And he said, what do you mean I do? I said, do you like your son? And he said, no, actually I don't. But I said, do you love him, don't you? And he said, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. What he doesn't like about his son is his behaviour. So we can not like the behaviour, but we can still love the person. And my kids have demonstrated to me that there's aspects of me that they don't like, but they still love me. I'm really grateful for that. And does, I, does that mean your relationship with them is, is mended? No, not completely mended, but it's something I need to keep working on. For example, I'm talking to one of my daughters the other day and, and uh, the subject of faith came up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use the word religion because I don't like the word religion. Neither do I. I used the word faith and I expressed a desire to tell my grandkids the understanding I have of the picture of who God is. Mm -hmm. And she was reticent Mm. because she's connecting what I'm trying to do with religion and not extending a relationship with God. And her comment was to me, Dad, I think we live in two different worlds. And my response to her was, Honey, we don't live in two different worlds. We live in the same world, but we look at it through different glasses. Mm. And I said, "My, I have to be honest with you, sweetheart. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells around the issue of faith with you and I'm done with doing that. I really want to be authentic about who I am and what I believe in because I feel I've neglected that in you growing up mm. and I don't think it's too late to change it. So I, the way I want to mend relationships with my girls is to, to step beyond the fact that when I left their mother I did damage that was inevitable anyway. It would have been damage that was done if even if I'd stayed there. But I, I feel like I'm the villain because I'm the lever, mm. if you like. And I feel that I need to gradually set the record straight as far as who I am now is who I really was all the time. And the fact that I wasn't a good dad was because, in my eyes, I wasn't a good dad was because I was actually trying to be something that I wasn't. And so I need to be more authentic with my kids in order to restore the relationship with them because I want them to love the real me 
who was always there at the beginning but was shrouded under a mask of um, guilt and shame and being a square peg in a round hole in the marriage and then the relationship with their mum. So what do you think are the, the factors that have helped your relationship with your kids be restored? Honesty. I think honesty has been really important. Um, I may have overdone that a little bit. Uh, I may have confronted them a little with... Freaked them out. I may have freaked them out. Uh, like the first day I went into church or the first couple of years I spent in church, I was like a front row forward in a ballet school. Uh, not very delicate. And uh, I think I've probably been that way with my children. My desire for my kids as they were growing up, and, and I express this to them all the time, the first thing I said was, please don't give your power away to a, a man. Don't be manipulated by a man. Because I believe I modelled that to them in, in their growing up in that their mother gave me power from her that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be the controlling influence in her life, even though I may have appeared to have been that way. I wanted her to be in control of her own destiny. And and I also taught my kids that I didn't care whether they were pushing groceries through a checkout for a living or removing a tumour off somebody's brain, as long as they were happy and they were good citizens. And that's what I've always wanted for them. And they've, by and large, turned out to be that way. Mm. They're very good citizens and I want peace and joy for them. I don't think that they have peace and joy in as much as I don't think many people in the world have that much peace and joy anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we're on that treadmill that we talk about often and... Um, living into expectations that are unrealistic both from each other and from ourselves. Mm. And and I'm, I really want to mend my relationship with my daughters by showing them the reality of what a life of trust and honour and dignity can bring you. And um, I want to restore the circle of love and trust with my children. So as as you change and as you you model those things that you're talking about, honour and trust and integrity the way that you are as a man changes and then that influences them. Yeah, if I have contact with them and I don't have that much contact with them, sadly. Was there ever a time when you had no communication with your kids? No. No, because um, yeah, even in the breakup process with their mum, which was very, very difficult, very hard for everybody involved, but even more so for the kids because kids tend to end up being the meat and the sandwich in those situations. Uh, even then, the communication with one of my daughters became a little distant because I think she has a very strong moral view mm-hmm. on how things should be done and um, our marriage breakup happened at a very bad time in her life mm. at a time when she needed the family to gather and be supportive. She had to deal with mum and dad breaking up. And she's always been the kind of person, and if she'll love you, but if you've uh, blotted your copybook, so to speak, she'll put you in a box for a while. And I think she's done that with me. And to some extent, I've been reluctant to open that box and poke my head out a few times because um, there's still some issues that we need to talk about. And um, I think we will. I think we will talk about them. I'm, I'm starting to be more honest with who I really am because I walked on eggshells being the fake me. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm being real, I tend to walk on eggshells a little bit around that too. You know, I had a friend say to me once, you know, when you became a Christian, it's like we lost the old hoodie. <laughs> and I just want the old hoodie back. I said, well, what, the one who, was a, who had a raging addiction who wanted to kill himself, you want him back? I said, you, I don't want him no, back. No, you don't want him back. I don't want him back. Yeah. You've obviously brought this up because you, um, you feel you have some mending to do. What processes are you going to employ to do that? Or what have you been employing? Yeah, well, I, I have experienced uh, a virtual total breakdown of communication. 
in the past. And I've, I've got to say, it's the toughest thing. It's really hard. I walked with you through that. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the first thing is that it takes time. Yeah. You know, it takes time to recover. You're one of the most patient men I've ever met. Oh, that's nice of you to say. No, you have. You've you've been diligently patient. Mm. You've set a task for yourself. I'm going to be patient until I can find a way through this. Yeah. But it's the darkest place because, you know, your kids are, I'm not talking about our wives, but your kids are the ones that you love the most in in this world. Yeah, because they're you. Yeah, you're responsible. You know, you've brought them into this world. Yeah. And uh, you are meant to be the the one who leads them in life to be a better version of you, not the same. Yeah. I mean, who wants another same Ellie or another same hoodie, yeah. right? But, but better and certainly yeah. not worse. Mm. You know, I remember when my kids were 10 and 11 or 11 and 12 because they were about a year apart, no, not a year apart, two years apart, but they were little. I sat them down in, in the bedroom and I wanted to make sure that what had happened in my family, generationally, you know, my parents and their parents before them and their parents before them, never happened in our family, hmm. you know. And I sat them down and I said, look, as you grow up, and they were on the verge of adolescence, right? I said, as you grow up, you're going to make your own decisions, I hope that I have taught you, you know, given you a sound foundation of the principles that are going to be useful to you and good for you in making those decisions. I said, you're going to fall in love, you're going to marry whoever you like. And, of course, I had problems in my family over over my marriage, and I said to them, I don't care whether you marry a, a drug dealer, a prostitute, you know, whoever they are, they will always be welcome in my home. Mm. And they'll always be part of our family yeah. and they'll always be loved, even though their behaviours might be, bring us grief because that's that's what you will choose and we'll always be there to love you and support you through that. We'll never throw you out. We'll never disown you. We'll never do all these things that I experience. And by saying that, my wife is an angel. She's none of the things that I mentioned before. You know, mm. My whole background is irrational, the way things turned out. But I wanted my children to feel secure in, in my love, in whatever decisions that they made in, in their lives, uh, that I wasn't going to be there to control them and oppress them. So there's never any lack of love on the part of fathers for their kids. But how is it that our intentions get so twisted by our own mistakes and our own actions and our own attitudes? It's almost like there's a, an evil version of ourselves working against our greatest desires, oh, man. right? That's what happened in, in, in my life, and I can see that's, that's what happened in your life. So, yeah, there's a process of, of mending, even when, you know, the love is so great that the relationship is still there. I'm talking about my own kids, yep. right? Uh, one of them in particular. I don't want to go into too much detail because they listen to this podcast. I'm glad they listen. <laughs> but even when the love and the relationship is strong, so strong there, you can still see the damage that the father and the mother have made in their lives by the negative aspects of their relationships, you know, because I didn't know how to be the husband that I should have been. Both partners are involved in, in that as well. And when you, and you see your kids and it just tears you apart when you see the damage, even when there's no relationship breakdown. But then when 
there is a relationship to be mended. It's even harder. As I said, first of all, it takes time. It takes patience. I'm a follower of Jesus. I, in the, my darkest days, I'd go out and pray. Yeah. I'd just walk for miles and pray for the Lord to please heal my relationship with my kids mm. uh, because I didn't see how it could ever be healed. And uh, the Lord would assure me that it would be healed, that he was working in, in my kids' lives. I couldn't see how, but that's what the Lord would assure me then. And I know you know because I, 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 I rang you and I told you at yeah. the time, yeah. right? And so what I th- how I think that healing process has worked, it's been as I have healed within myself. Yep. And that's never, there's, there's no magic bullet. There's no miraculous sort of transformation. There's no magic fairy with a wand, no. you know. And as I have healed within myself, I think that has helped to heal my, my children. Yeah, that, that's, that's so true. And then our relationship has healed. Trust mm. has been mm. rebuilt. But it's also taken a lot of courage because you know, I came to the point, and I'm not being specific about which child or whatever, where I was actually afraid to talk, mm. to communicate, because I was fearful that I'd be smacked down and shut down. Rejected. Nothing was welcome, right? But I needed to give my children space, basically. And, and, and this is a really important thing as well. I needed to understand, for example, and to be specific with my son, that my son wasn't just a smaller version of me. I mean, one of the, one of the things that my son told me once when he was really angry uh, was that he didn't have any DNA from me, you know. He inherited mm. nothing from me, mm. right? And that was very hurtful. Yeah. But I did have to accept that, I guess what he said wasn't really true, but I did have to come to the point and accept that he wasn't actually a smaller version of me, that he had his own life, he had his own feelings, he had different motivations, different drivers to me, and he was a different sort of person. Because whereas I'm very vocal and I express all my feelings, you know, I know my son isn't, you mm. know, and that's perfectly fine. He processes the world and information differently. And so I needed to learn to to approach him uh, more on his own terms. Yeah. Not not on mine. Yeah. You know, I wasn't there to control him. You had to learn to speak his language. I had to learn to speak his language a little bit more. You need to be bilingual. Yeah, and that's really hard for, for fathers to do. It is. Right? Because it's always hard to learn a new language, especially when you didn't know you had to. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I've had to do that with my son. I've actually had to do that with my daughter in a, in a very different kind of way as well. Yeah. What I'm realising in all of this is family life uh, is like artwork. Um, if you like Hans Heysen and Constable, probably some of the most articulate landscape artists that have ever painted. And their, their landscapes are just magnificent, almost like a photograph. Some families are like Constable and... Um, and Heisen, and some families are like Picasso. And the pictures are vastly different, but they're also incredibly valuable. And uh, somewhere along the line between Constable and Picasso, a lot of us seem to have our artwork done. Uh-huh. The main thing is that we remember that these things are really valuable. And uh, they may look different to different people, 
Yeah. And some people like landscapes and some people like abstract, but they still have value well, and worth. It's, it's, this is the most valuable stuff on earth. Yeah. I mean, your kids are your legacy. Oh. You will only be remembered by your children. Yeah. And their children. And I had two daughters, and it's kind of like my strain ends. Well, not, not really. Someone will listen to this, these podcasts. Yeah, I mean, my genetic... Well, the genetics go on, I know, but I never got hung up on that oh, I wish I had a boy thing. Mm. I used to love messing around with my girls in a way that was kind of boyish. I used to I used to like to wrestle with them, and my big thing was I always wanted to take them fishing, and we never had time because... My wife wanted them to be ballerinas. Oh, it's like me. Oh. You always want to take me fishing. Now you're you making me feel time. like the guilty father and you're my, my neglected son. Yeah, well, I'm not quite young enough. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, um, yeah, I, I used to love messing around with, with the girls. Like, I used to be a little bit matey with them sometimes and we'd, and I used to like embarrassing them in public, like saying ridiculous things so everyone could hear, and they go, Dad. Oh, no. Oh, Dad. Like, I used to take them to the Australian Ballet they to get, see. Ugh. And they, they, the Australian Ballet were based in Melbourne where we lived at the time, and we'd often go to their performances. And while we were queuing up waiting to go into our seats, there'd be the brass handrail on the red carpet. Yeah. And I'd hang on to the handrail like it was a bar in a ballet studio and do things called demi-plies, which are like squats with your feet turned out. And I'd say, look, girls, look, I'm doing demi-plies. And all these people would be looking at me laughing and they'd look at me and go, Dad, Dad, cut it out. You're so embarrassment. Now, now you do know that they, girls get to an age where you can't do that anymore. Yeah, but they still love it when you do. They, yeah. they look back on it in later life and I hope they hear this and then they'll remember. And, and I used to do things in the supermarket to embarrass them too. I won't go into that because – but they were funny things and they were childish things and, and we had a lot of laughs and things like that together and I'm really appreciative of all that. I love my girls. I just wish I could have done better. So – Anyway, there's no point looking back, right? As much as it cuts you up and uh, as, as important as the past is. But we, we, we've just been looking back at some really yeah, fun I, things. I, I know. Yeah, amidst all the darkness. Yeah, yeah, the, the good stuff. But what do you... I mean, I was a bit vulnerable before. Mm. But you're better at being vulnerable than me. So, really? so, yeah. So what do you need to do now to continue mending the relationship with your girls? Be more intentional. Actually, stop mm -hmm. putting off having fun with my girls. My time with my girls has always been pretty serious. It's about me apologising and me showing them the new me that I am. And look, I was addicted to this thing and now I'm actually helping men who are addicted to it and women as well. Aren't I a hero? I've spent a lot of time trying to restore my hero status with my girls. I need to go back and have fun with my kids again. I've got to do that too. I've got to be yeah. more intentional. Yeah about setting aside more time for my kids, for my daughter yep. and my son, even though, that you know, they're adults now like yours. Yeah. So that's an important thing I'm getting from this chat. Got to be more intentional. And that's Michelle's favourite word of late. Yeah. You said that your time with your kids has been about you apologising and, and you used to be an addict to this and that and you now you help people with all that. I mentioned this to you before, before we started recording, but there comes a point where you've got to get out of the cave. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You've got to be free of the cave, basically, in your everyday life um, because it's not helpful to your daughters. What would your kids ask of you if you gave them the freedom to be real? Thanks for asking that question, Ellie. That's a very good question. Dad, you spend most of your life helping people that we don't know, other people. 
is it possible you could spend a fraction of that time being our dad again? Well, here's my follow-up question. What's your answer? Oh. There's no point unless there's a practical outcome. I mean, we're talking about the most important relationships in terms of our legacy. You're the one who keeps bringing up about living for a good funeral, and I keep cringing and saying, Graeme, why do you keep bringing up funerals? It's all rather morbid. But if that's really important to you, right, and I think it is important to everyone, but if that's, if that's really important to you, Graeme, there's probably some phone calls you need to make. There's probably some... Some appointments you need to set. And you know how you've been trying... to make some dates. You know how you've been trying to make a date for a fishing trip with me? Well, stuff that. As much as you love me... Do it with my kids. There's more important relationships. You're dead right, and that's what I was thinking when you asked the question. Uh, that's what I need to do. I need to, um, I need to start having fun with my kids and grandkids. Because, you know, one thing that you've always said to me, Graeme, is that your daughters love you. Mm, they do. They love you. I know my kids love me. So I'm, talk, I'm talking to myself here. Mm. So uh, what are you going to do with that love? You just ignore it? You, you waste it? I need to bathe in it. In, yeah, you need to bathe in it. Mm, I do. And I, I know that your daughters not only love you, but they appreciate your, your qualities. They appreciate the man you've become. I get that. You know? And... Mm. They know about the bad stuff because they lived it. They don't need to go back into that with you. You, know, you don't need to prove anything to them about who you are. Mm. They appreciate your qualities today. Yeah. And they just want to see those qualities in their lives and in their family's lives. Yeah. Yeah. I said at the beginning of this chat that I was nervous about the topic. Yeah. And uh, we, we tend to get nervous about the things we need to grow in. Yeah. And that's one thing I need to grow in and... Um, I need, absolutely need to be more intentional. So I need to make sure that the time I spend with my kids and grandkids is actually quality Mm -hmm. and it's not just a lecture on life. It actually needs to be a demonstration of fun and joy and serenity and, and peace. And the past, I say to people all the time, the past is a warehouse where we store wisdom. Mm -hmm. It's not a, a receptacle for pain. So I need to go back to that, the childish me that used to love having fun and, and um, being a bit of a clown and just laughing through life. I need to do that again. And you need to actually not store up wisdom because you've got a lot of it. We can hear that. You need to open the doors of that receptacle and start pouring out some of that wisdom into your, your girls' lives and into your grandchildren's lives. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you that's, do. That's what's going to add the richness to your life. I'm telling you what to do, but... It's just because you were talking, but it, the same things apply in my life, really. Exactly the same. I know that my two kids love me profoundly. They do. And deeply. There's, there's a few barriers along the way in terms mm. of that and reluctances in terms of, you know, expressing that love. Yeah. But you know what? It's, now I'm realising it's mainly on my end. Mm. I think you're realising that too. I am as we're talking. Wherever it is that those barriers are coming from, they're subconscious things, but they've got no place in our lives. I need to listen to our podcast so that I can learn. I reckon. Your kids need you to have fun with them too. Just have fun. Yeah. Because there's too much in life to be serious about and we need to get over ourselves is what you're trying to tell me, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? And this thought actually came to me on the drive up, so it might be a God thing. Because it's something I've been intending to do with my son for about 
seven years, mm. but I haven't done it because there's been a lot of rubbish that has happened in those seven years, mm. as you know. I'm going to book a trip with my son, away with him, mm. to go to Canberra. Cause I've always wanted to visit the National War Museum with him. The War Memorial? The, yeah, the War Memorial. Because oh. I think that would be awesome for him. I always find it very inspiring and helps put life into perspective. Oh, yeah. I wish I could go. I'm going to take a few days out. Just him and me, we're going to get to go to Canberra. We're going to have some fun, do some other things. That's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to organise that this week. Far out. Yeah. You rock, Ellie. Yeah. That would be a great thing to do. I, I, I wandered through the War Memorial in Canberra mm-hmm. six months ago, and I've spent a lot of time listening to audiobooks on uh, on on World War One and World War Two. I'm really fascinated by the history of war. I don't like war, but I'm fascinated mm. by the history. And what it says about the courage of people who are caught up in it. And the War Memorial is an absolute treasure house of inspiration Ooh. of how to deal with the tough times and how you survive. And um, it's not a, a memorial for killing. It's a memorial about survival. Ooh. And what a great journey for a father and son to actually take together. So I'm going to do that this week. Wow. So what are you going to do this week, Graeme? I'm going to make sure that I'm on the flight that you go to, down to Canberra on, that I'm operating that flight. No, you just mm. said you and your son, I know. Yeah. I'm not invited on that trip. Oh, well, you could be, but you've got a few days there you could spend with your daughters. I wish it were true this weekend, but it's not. No. But I can make time to have a chat to them, and I'm definitely going to do that, and I'm going to talk about fun things, and I'm going to start planning. Well, I've already started planning with one of my daughters to bring the grandkids down when we're fishing. We're away fishing for a month, and I want the kids to come down and fish mm. in the boat with me and all that. Now at an age now where I can safely do that. I'm not... I'm not real good with little kids, little tiny kids. Um, I feel really clumsy around them and there's another subject. Mm-hmm. The grandkids are getting to the age now where I can actually t- show them how to tie a hook on and mm-hmm. and I want to see the joy in their faces when they pull a reasonable fish over the back of the boat and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff and gear it up, you know, say, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just get into it with them. So I'm setting my mind to do that this week. That's what I'm setting my mind to do. Good. Now do it. I will. Because you procrastinate sometimes, Graeme, but this when? you have to do. When have I ever? Like taking me fishing. Anyway, but that's all right. I'll forgive you. This is what I've learned, and it just hit me, that uh, no matter what stage you're at in terms of your relationship with your kids, no matter how broken you think that relationship might be, there's always something you can do. It's never too late. Don't sit there and wallow. It's never too late. There's always something you can do. It might be that you're in, in that stage of a broken relationship where all you can do is wait. Yeah. Well, in that waiting time, become the man that you should have been. You know, take steps to become the man you should have been. Um, Very true. And be the one when the time is right to initiate the contact because often a lot of the barriers that we think are there, they're the barriers of the past. They are indeed. They're you know. not there anymore. What have I learned out of this conversation? I've learned that um, we should never let our opinion of ourselves become our belief of what our kids' opinions are of us. In other words, don't think our kids hate us as much as we hate us. <laughs> because they don't. I had the, I had the distinct honour of sitting in the back of a, the bridal car in Cairo in Egypt, mm. taking my young daughter Sarah to give her away at, at the craziest wedding I've ever been to. It was bizarre, but it was so good. And, uh, and sitting in the back of a Cairo traffic jam, we were meant to be 10 minutes and we were 45 minutes getting to the wedding venue. 
And I said to her, I'm really sorry, honey, for letting you down as a dad and not being there and not showing you the things I should have and and, uh, all the things I did wrong. And she said, Dad, I'm so glad I had you as my father. I really appreciate having you as a dad. I remember the good things and I wish you'd stop remembering the bad things. Get over yourself, Graeme. Get over myself. Yeah. Where have I heard that before? Because you tell me that all the time. I used to. I haven't told you that in anger for a long time. Well, that's why we have these chats, because we tell each other the things we most need to hear. We need to get over ourselves, and we teach what we most need to learn, and thank goodness for that. Great talking again. Yeah. All right, got a lot to think about. A few appointments to set up. Yeah, indeed we do. With my kids. So let's get about it. Yep. Thanks again. Love you, mate. And me too. See you, mate. Bye. Mates in Courage. Brought to you by Good News Unlimited. To sign up for Graham and Ellie's daily spiritual message emails about recovering from addictions, hurts and hang-ups, visit goodnewsunlimited.com. To book Graham and Ellie for talks, get in touch at the same website. And if you're troubled by anything you've heard, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or an equivalent service in your own country. Thanks for listening. Mates in Courage. Catch you in the next episode.